Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these words, Every, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. <clears throat> and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray that you would lead us into the truth of your word today. Lead us into the truth of, of, of Jesus' words to us in the Sermon on the Mount. Guard us from error. Help me to teach rightly. Help me to teach well. Give these people who are here listening uh, discernment and grace to hold on to what is good uh, as, uh, as your admonition, as your teaching to us. Uh, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> I've had a, well, I have a, a growing... Uh, conviction uh, that I ought to uh, begin speaking to you about uh, suffering. It's, <clears throat> excuse me, it, it's been over two years since I was diagnosed with uh, cancer and, uh, and the church, uh, this church and, and, and fellow believers who, most of whom were a part of this church uh, in the past and have, have moved away. Uh, they've made the burden lighter by walking with Robin and I uh, through this ordeal. Uh, I was thinking, uh, I was thinking through these, you know, this week, of course, thinking through this uh, sermon, and uh, and I thought, well, ordeal. Maybe that's a little dramatic, you know. I, think I was trying to think of a different word than ordeal, but then I, I looked it up. I looked at the meaning and it said a painful or horrific experience, especially a protracted one, protracted one. And I thought, painful, check, horrific, check, uh, protracted, check. Now that's the right word, all right. It's an ordeal. Um, the pain has gone beyond the physical variety, of course, in terms of pain. I, I think the hardest thing so far was the very first day, the very first day of the diagnosis, uh, when it was diagnosed and, and uh, making those dreadful phone calls to our adult children. Uh, but that's not to say that the physical pain hasn't been significant at times. There, there have been sleepless nights when the pain was such uh, that I was crying out to the Lord outwardly, loudly, uh, to please either help me or take me. It didn't matter which. I was there. I was there. It, doesn't, it didn't matter which. I, I just, 
something has to change. I can't do this. And so far he's chosen to help me, uh, even if relief didn't come as immediately as I, as I wanted. And even though we have experienced really quite literally what people call the dark night of the soul, uh, when the Lord seems silent and it kind of invites the temptation to think that because he was silent, he's also distant and he's also unconcerned. Uh, even so, even so, I cannot imagine how people do things like this without having the Lord Jesus Christ to call upon. No, no matter what he does or doesn't do, uh, you know, in, in response to our, our pleadings. I, the Bible says in, in facing the death of our loved ones in Christ, it says, we do not grieve as do those who have no hope, right? Which, which I believe, of course, that uh, it doesn't mean that we do not grieve. It means we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We, we grieve as those who have hope. But I think we could say the same thing about suffering. We, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> we do not suffer. I'm okay. Thanks. We do not suffer as those who have no hope, which means doesn't mean we don't suffer. We we suffer as those who have a hope in Christ, who suffered for us, that we might live forever without suffering. And so because of Christ, uh, because we have a God who can intervene, uh, who can deliver, who's able to bring relief and is able to bring times of refreshing, who is sovereign over our suffering, uh, sovereign over life and death, there's a, certain, uh, there's a certain floor to our sufferings. Uh, there's a certain level below which we cannot sink down into the mire to to borrow from Psalm 69 and that seems boy that certainly seems like an apt analogy you know Lord don't let me sink into the mire it, it seems like there's a certain there's a certain bottom that we can't go below a certain floor uh, we we have a God who says to the waves as they crash against us is, is it, these are words of uh, the Lord to Job, Job 38. Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. You know, he draws a limit. This is no, no, you can't go beyond this. And so we can say in our sufferings, just like the Apostle Paul said about his, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies and not everybody has that floor you know not everybody has that limit that, that God puts on the suffering for our sake. Uh, because not everyone has the Lord. And so I, I freely admit, when I think about certain other cases, certain other people, I think of it with tears. But 
when the specific cases come to mind. But I freely admit that those who don't have the Lord to call upon, uh, to lean on, to call out to, to cry out to, uh, suffer more than suffer more than I will ever be called on to suffer. Suffer more than you will ever be called on to suffer if you if you are in Christ. Even when the wages of sin draw near, I, I can't imagine how they do it. Uh, but I. <laughs> But I, I, I'm glad I don't have to know. Because uh, <clears throat> we can rejoice that we have a good and powerful God that we can cast our cares upon because He cares for us. Right? I, um, even when the cup of the Lord's assignment for us can't pass from us, uh, having let our requests be made known to God, as we're commanded to do, uh, we find, according to the promise, it works, that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And, and nevertheless, we ask God for what we want. He, uh, he wants to hear it. And we do that knowing that nothing is too hard for the Lord, Right? and nothing is impossible to God. Along those lines, uh, along the lines of the Lord's goodness, along the lines of His intervening uh, mercy and grace, there has been something of a miracle that has taken place here at Faith Bible Fellowship, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, nearly every week for, uh, for months now. <laughs> And, and I say something of a miracle <clears throat> because I distinguish between uh, miracles against nature and miracles against probability. This is not a miracle against nature. It's a miracle against probability. It's a, so it's a class 2, uh, class B miracle against probability. But it is a miracle. It's a miracle in the sense that it's, it's attributable to the Lord's direct intervention. It's His doing. It's His doing. And what, what's this miracle? What's this minor miracle? It, it's the fact that I've been able to preach here, teach here on Sunday mornings. There have been mornings. I, I've been doing this. Well, I did it before. I did it uh, earlier. And then there was a, there were a long period of time when we had uh, guest speakers every week. And then since Christmas Eve. But before and then since Christmas Eve, there have been weeks, there have been Sundays where if you could have seen me at 7.30 or 8 in the morning, you wouldn't believe I'd be here at 11.15 doing what I'm doing now. You, you wouldn't, nobody would think that that was possible. There, there have been weeks when I sat down here. Recently, there have been weeks when I sat down here, I didn't know if I was going to make it to high noon without passing out or without uh, making a, some sort of gastronomical spectacle of myself the way uh, George H.W. Bush did at the Chinese dinner, you know. To <laughs> let the reader understand, as Matthew would say. <laughs> and there, there's been something that 
that happens. In, there's something that's been happening in me, uh, to me on Sunday mornings, and I'm just testifying to you that it's not of me. It's not of me. Uh, it gives me the Lord gives me a, a boost of some kind of energy, zeal, or something. But whatever it is, I don't get it on Mondays, and I don't get it for elders' meeting, and I don't get it for anything else. It's a Sunday kind of love. You know? It's a Sunday kind of miracle. And, uh, and it's been happening. There's a little church. Uh, I saw Jackie here earlier. I don't see her here now. But there's a, there's a little, I think she's seen this church. There's a little church on Highway 70 between Rockwood and Kingston that had a little bitty church in a building. And it has on the sign, it's permanently written on the sign. It's painted on the sign. It says, miracles every Sunday. <laughs> you know, I pass that on the highway. I think, boy, that's a lot of pressure on that. You know, <laughs> that's a lot of pressure on somebody there. And, and I think it's, all, it's kind of presumptuous too. But, uh, but that's, that's pretty much what we've been getting. That's what we've been getting here uh, almost practically every Sunday. And, and I know without a doubt that it's been for my benefit. It's been, you know, it's a, it's a favor that's been done by the Lord for Pastor Chris. And, and I hope it's for the benefit of the church too and for the benefit of everyone who would be here on a particular Sunday morning. But I know that it cannot be the case. Why is this happening? It cannot be the case that my teaching is so wonderful or so insightful or so unctuous that it has to be me and it can't be anybody else or it won't, it won't work. It's just, that's a, you know, it's demonstrably and provably ridiculous notion on, on too many levels to even mention. So let's just leave it at that. We know that can't be the case. <laughs> so what's the purpose of that weekly miracle? Maybe it isn't so much. Maybe it isn't so much what I'm teaching, or even how well I'm teaching, but just the fact that I am teaching. And maybe this offers one example of what it looks like. I hope this is the case to fight the good fight, to keep to finish the race, uh, to keep the faith, even in the face of the suffering. You know that's happening. But. But with that as a background, maybe you can see why, why I would also have this growing conviction that I ought to begin, really, I ought to begin teaching you about suffering more directly. Uh, with, not just by example, but with words, with, with teaching. What's the Bible say of Jesus? Jesus, it's amazing to think about. Amazing to think about Jesus in his humanity, but it says he learned obedience. Do you remember this? He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And so I ought to be I ought to have been learning something over the past couple of years. I ought to have been learning something. First Peter four speaks of uh Suffering according to the will of God, depending on the translation you have. Suffering according to the will of God. The, uh, the New Living Translation translates it freely. 
but it says suffering in a way that pleases God. Uh, so, there's, so there's a way, and there are ways to suffer well. That we all should learn. That we, that we really have to learn. That we, It's vitally important for every one of us to learn. And if the shepherd is learning these lessons, he should at least try to uh, give the benefit of his experience to the flock. The, uh, <clears throat> the passage we began with today uh, from the Jesus Sermon on the Mount is, is, um, is not a typical one that we might read if the topic is suffering and how to suffer well. Uh, but I'm convinced it's, on, it's exactly on point. It's an apt place to begin. It's an apt place to begin, uh, at least in its application. The, the basic admonition is to build your life on the rock What's the rock? The rock is of faith in the words of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, of faith in the person and work of, of Jesus himself. Uh, what does Jesus teach about? What's the grand theme of Jesus' teaching? You know, it, the grand theme, you know, some people would tell you the grand theme of Jesus' teaching is love, love one another. That's not true. That's not true. When you, re, when you read, you read all those red letters. You got a red letter, but read all those red letters. What's the grand theme of the teaching? It's not love. It's not uh, uh, love one another. It's not love your enemies. It's not, it's not love. It, it isn't, it, 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 it's not the golden rule. The grand theme of Jesus' teaching is the person of Jesus. Who am I? What did I come to do? That's the crux of everything. Every, the, the grand theme of his, his teaching is, is, I'm the rock. Jesus says, in my person, I'm the rock. And so you'd be absolutely quite on target if you come away from that passage we read and, and you think a house built on the rock is a life built on Christ himself. And, then the, so the, and Matthew 7 goes on, or at least that passage we read uh, from the Sermon on the Mount, it goes on to say, you do that, you build your house on the rock so that when those storms come, the wind, the rain, the floods, they come bursting against that house, that's your life, the house will stand and it won't fail, it won't suffer catastrophic failure. So what do you think Jesus is talking about when he talks about you know, the wind, the, the, storm, the flood, uh, the streams, the rain, what could that be? And we can make a strong, I, I think we can make a strong case in the context of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is talking about first and primarily the coming judgment of God on all mankind. And the, and the first idea is this, the, the most basic idea is this, the pharisaical fig leaf you know, of, of uh, hypocrisy riddled self-righteous religiosity is going to wither, and I'll borrow from Jonathan Edwards, it's going to, when God's judgment comes, it's going to wither like that spider web over the fire. It's, it's going to be gone. But the one who heeds the teaching of Jesus concerning himself, the one who understands, who accepts that Jesus is God's Son, God come in human flesh, and the work he came to do to die for our sins. 
that's the one to whom Jesus will say, to whom all judgment's given, by the way. Enter into the joy of your master. But the way Jesus puts it, it invites a wider application than that. We're not talking about just one thing, uh, the judgment of God. We're talking about a variety of things. Things that are comparable to rain. <laughs> that come, uh, the things that are comparable to the wind that, that comes against the house. Comparable to the storms. Comparable to the uh, flood. You know, it's like the rain. Well, how's your house? Does it, how's your house? Does it stay dry inside when it's raining outside? Some don't. Some don't. Other things are more comparable to the wind that blows against the house. Other things are more like waves that, that, that crash against the house. Other things are more like the severest test of all, which is the flood. The flood that threatens to sweep a house right off its foundation, just crush it all together. Uh, our, our church has taken a few mission trips down to New Orleans uh, to help with uh, Katrina recovery and to, 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 be de- to be there in New Orleans and to, to take a little driving tour like we did uh, through the Lower Ninth Ward is to understand that the Katrina's wind and the Katrina's wind and rain was one thing. But the flood that came when the levee broke was something else altogether. Yeah, houses stacked up one on top of the other. Cars stacked up three, four high. Uh, that most, every, most everything just swept away, just scraped off altogether, where you just see plumbing sticking up out of the ground. It's gone. So every structure in New Orleans got, they got Katrina's wind and rain. Some fared better than others. But the flood, man, oh, when the flood came, how great was its fall. And not all trials, not all suffering are of equal weight, equal impact. I've tipped my hand already, but I think Jesus gives us another clue about what these different elements of a storm represent in that they're presented by Jesus as uh, inevitable. You know, when the, wind, when the wind comes, when the rain comes, and the wind and the, and the waves and the, and the flood, in, in other words, it isn't that the wise, the meaning of that, it isn't that the wise man builds his life in such a way that he avoids the storms. You know, he builds it where it's not going to rain and it's not gonna, the wind's not going to blow and the flood's not going to come. Be wise and don't do that. You know, don't build where the, you know, that would be a good, you know, and the foolish man, he builds his life, he builds his house where in the floodplain where it's going to flood every single spring. That would be a great parable. That'd be a great lesson. But that's not the, you know, why it would be a great lesson? Because I've seen people and you have too, and I guess on a certain level we are this person, but some do it more than others. They, they build their lives in such a way that they court disaster. They seem like they're begging for it. 
They, they invite suffering and hardship into their, and heartache. You ever seen that? They just literally live in it. They're just, wait, they're just designing their life, it seems, to, to, for hardship and for being poor and, and, and just trouble. And then when the storm comes and life is destro- destroyed, they, it, frustrates us. it frustrates us. They rebuild the same way they did before. You know, there have been times over the years when I, when I wanted to say to somebody something like this, here's an idea. How about this time not cohabiting with an uh, unemployed, abusive na- male from the neighborhood who's going to be playing video games with your kids? And... Uh, going to be standing in front of the refrigerator drinking from the milk carton in his boxers <laughs> you know just to try something different see if it turns out different how about this time how about this time when you rebuild your life how about this time leaving marlon brando from streetcar named desire out of the equation That would be a great lesson. And it'd be a true lesson. Because it's true sometimes, it's true sometimes that suffering results from what the Bible calls foolish living, foolishness. Especially in Proverbs. Proverbs 18:6, a fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. Here's another one, Proverbs 10, 8. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Proverbs 10, 21. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. So, okay, getting beat up, coming to ruin, dying for lack of sense. That sounds like examples of suffering and hardship, doesn't it sound like suffering? And where did it come from? The sufferer brought it on themselves. The, 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 the prodigal son got around to connecting those dots, right? He, he, he connected those dots between his own behavior and what he's eating, what the pigs eat. And he fixed it. And he fixed it by throwing himself on the mercy of his father. And some people who have big problems with how God could allow such suffering in their lives, could, they could stand to consider their own ways. And you consider how they, what they did to bring themselves into the situation. But that's not the parable, that's not the lesson Jesus teaches here. It's not what he's, that's not what he's getting at, at least here in Matthew 7. He tells a story, he draws a comparison, in which the storms of life, we could say, it comes against the wise and the foolish just the same. The wise person gets it. The, the, the foolish person gets it. <laughs> Job says, uh, man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. 
Solomon Ecclesiastes, he complains, the wise person has his eyes in his head, the fool walks in darkness, and yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. A few verses later, how the wise dies just like the fool. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you do, you will, in, the, in this lesson, she says, you will experience trouble, suffering, evil things that won't have any part in the new heavens and the new earth. Things, and what are we talking about? I think we're looking at serious illness, deaths in the family, financial hardship, family dysfunction, chronically difficult relationships, physical handicaps that you have to live with your whole life, terrible diagnoses from the doctor. You know, you, you tell me you tell me yours and I'll tell you mine, right? The, the, the Bible tells us that evil entered into the world in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, it tells us it didn't enter the world in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, it tells us how the evil entered the world. Revelation chapter 19, beginning in Revelation chapter 19, it tells us how evil is going to be, is going to be quarantined off from the rest of crea creation, beginning with the return of Christ. And, in, and we, live, we live in that space between Genesis chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 19. That's where we live our whole lives until he returns. And the, when the days, as Ephesians says this, when the days are evil, the days are evil. And I don't believe those were, I don't think that'll be said of the age to come. Redeem the time for the days are evil. I don't think that'll be said of the age to come. But it's true of this age. Jesus promised in this world you will have trouble. But it's this world. In this world you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. That's a promise no Christian ever claimed or wanted to or needed to, right? But it's a promise. It's the truth. And all you have to do to experience these kinds of things is to, of this world is just to live long enough. It's not a question of whether you will experience these kinds of things. It's only a matter of what kind of house you will have built when it comes. It's only a matter of what kind of life you will have built when it comes. And will it stand the test? Will it withstand the trial? Will it be able to take the rain? Will it be able to take the wind? Will it be able to take the flood? And, and being in the trial, being in the middle of a great big storm should not be mistaken for feeling, for uh, failing the test. I'm in a, don't, don't, tell, don't tell yourself, I'm in a trial. I am really, I'm up against it. And so I must be failing the test. No, you're not failing the, the test. The, the Bible is incredibly honest and transparent about the fact that believers struggle with the fact of suffering and evil things, evil things in their 
lives that the Lord has uh, allowed. Let me give you some examples. The, the Bible features a prophet of God. And, and I could use, there's, there are several prophets I could have used, but I'm going to use this one, Habakkuk, whose prophecy begins this way. It's a short, prophet, short book, but here's how it begins. This is a prophet of God, a man of God, and here's how it begins. Oh, Lord, okay, it's a prayer. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Why, is still in the prayer, why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Why do you, Lord, why do you idly look at, you know what that means, idly? So, so he's picturing the Lord looking at, oh, well, you know, who cares? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. That's how it begins. It continues. Excuse me. He continues, you who are of pure, still in the prayer, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You hear what he's saying, right? Lord, why does it never work out? Why, why, do the, why do the righteous always, why are they always ground under the feet of the wicked? How long are you going to, how long can you look at that, Lord? Why don't you do something? That's a prophet of God. It's in the Bible. It's his inspired text. That's one thing. That's Habakkuk. Could have used Jeremiah. Could have used others. The Bible also features a psalmist. A psalmist who's characterized as a man after God's heart. He writes an inspired text. This is Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? That's the 13th Psalm. Do you think, is there anything in you that thinks, oh, a good Christian, a good Christian should, you should never talk to the Lord that way. You should. You shouldn't even have those kinds of thoughts. Let alone to say them out loud to God. It's in the Bible. The Bible features martyrs in heaven. The, the Bible features martyrs in heaven 
who cry out to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? There's even martyrs in heaven that dissatisfied with, you know, what's going on. Why doesn't the Lord do something? The Bible even features a sinless, holy Savior. No sin ever who says to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So God doesn't condemn you. I mean, this is, you know, given, given all of that, God doesn't condemn you when you cry out from your heart, Why, Lord? Why did you let this evil happen? Why, and why does it continue? Why don't you stop it? Why didn't you put your own details there? Why didn't, why didn't you spare the one that we prayed so, for so fervently, who I love so much? How, how long will I pray for what I can only imagine. How can it be anything but good? How, I, I'm praying for something that's just, there's no way to look at it other than just would be a good thing. How long will I pray for that to no apparent effect? Why, why do you let this evil continue? How, how long is it going to go on? Lord, if my son or my daughter was suffering like I am, I would do something I, am I not a son, Lord? Or, some, am I, or am I not a daughter, Lord? Now, why did my loved ones die? Why did, well, why did they die so young or, or so suddenly or so cruelly or so hard? Or why me? Why now? Why aren't you hearing my prayers, Lord? I, I can't. Go on like this. That's not oh, what a failed house looks like and sounds like. That is not a fallen house. That's not a life that's fallen apart. The, sur surviving the storms of life is not getting through those kinds of things with just merely without asking impertinent questions or, or giving voice to emotional complaints to God. And why are passages, why are passages like that in the Bible? Why, why is it in the Bible? You know, I rather suspect to, to show us that, that God um, doesn't, first, it doesn't condemn us for those kinds of thoughts and those kinds of words, even when we blurt them right out to the Lord. I, I rather suspect he appreciates the authenticity <laughs> and the stripping away of the of the false religious veneer. And that kind of honesty and that kind of authenticity before God is not what 
failing under the, under the rain and the wind and the flood looks like. But we know exactly what surviving the storm looks like. It's what you say to the Lord. It's what you affirm to others. It's what you believe in your heart and your soul when all is said and done after you've poured out your heart to God with shocking honesty. <laughs> Surviving the storms sounds like the prophet Habakkuk who finished his prophecy this way. Who finished this way. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. That's how Habakkuk ends. Who started out, why don't you hear me, Lord? Why don't you do something? He ends with, I will, re I will rejoice in the Lord. It's even future, right? I know in the end I'm going to be rejoicing in the God of my salvation. It's like, it's like Martin Luther. Here I take my stand. I can do no other. God help me. That's where I am. That's a faith. That's a life that's held up under the storm. That, that, it, 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 here's what it looks like. Here's what, here's what it looks like when you pass the test, when you endure the wind, the rain, the storm successfully when the house stands. It's like David who ends the 13th Psalm this way, the one I started with. The one that begins, how long? Your Lord, you're going to forget me forever? Here's how it ends. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I will sing to the Lord. Now, I'd say sometimes that victory, that standing the test, been suffering all week and coming here on a Sunday and singing. I will sing to the Lord. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Here's also what it looks like. Here's also what it looks like to pass the test, to, to, to have a house that stands. It sounds like the Lord Jesus Christ who before us whose last words from the cross were not, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That wasn't the last, what's the last word? Into thy hands I commit my spirit. Into the Lord's hands I entrust myself to you. That's a house built on the rock of who Jesus is, what he came to do. The question is not, 
can I avoid trouble? Some people have Jesus figured that way, don't they? Your faith in Christ. And, they, they, some, you have it, and it's a temptation to us to think of it this way. If I come to Christ, I'll not have any troubles. That's not, that's not true at all, is it? Man, it's born for trouble, the sparks fly upward. It's going to come. The wind's going to come. The rain's going to come. The flood's going to come. It's going to come. The question is, what the, what's that house going to be like? What's it made of? Where is it built? Is it founded on the rock? Jesus, faith in Christ. His com commitment to his per commitment and faith to who he is, God's own son, come to rescue me. And what he's done. What's, what's, what's your future because of what Christ has done? No more pain. No more mourning. No more crying. No more death. That's what's coming. That's where you wind up if the, if the house is going to stand. He's our rock. Build your house on the rock. Father, when, uh, when suffering comes, as we know that it will, give us grace to suffer well. And when we're frustrated, and when we're hurting, when we're frightened, when we're disappointed, when we're sad, when we do not understand, when we just can't understand how the fact of our suffering can possibly square with your goodness, your power, your love for us. Extend your grace to us that in the end we will affirm your goodness, we'll lean fully on your love for us, we'll depend completely on your power to do what only you can and deliver us from sin and death. And Lord, we pray particularly for those whose stormy season is... Uh, is right now. Give them and give us a faith that will not fail. For you know that the one who trusts in you will not be disappointed in the end. And we believe, Lord, help our unbelief. Enlarge faith in every believing person in this place today and let the beginnings of a faith be kindled in the one who is open to the conviction of the Spirit and to Christ's drawing of people to himself, but is not yet calling you to save from the power of sin and death. We pray in the precious and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.